I encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis chapter 18. We are coming to the conclusion of a series on the attributes of God, those traits, characteristics of God that describe who he is. Pastor Brian will actually finish out our series uh, next week talking about the God as a God of peace and order. Today, we are concluding a little three-part subset of the attributes of God, three attributes of God that are dependent on each other, that they cannot exist without the other one. We've talked about God's wrath, God's holiness, and now today God's righteousness and justice. We define the wrath of God as simply the fact that God hates all sin. We define his holiness as God being set apart from sin and reigning in absolute purity. And today we talk about his righteousness and justice. The fact that God is the standard, the one and only standard of what is right. And the fact that he always acts according to his right standard. If God was accepting of sin, he could not be holy, he could not be righteous. Thus the holiness and righteousness of God demand, require, that he be a God of wrath. Today we talk about his righteousness and his justice. Both carry the idea of God being the right standard. He's the only standard, the final standard of what is right. The terms are very close. These English terms, righteousness and justice, are very close. It's hard to get a fine distinction between the two terms because they both talk about God being the standard. One way of looking at them is that God's righteousness describes that he is the final standard of what is right. His justice describes the fact that he always acts according to his right standard. Now, why is that important? Why is it important for us today in our culture to talk about God being righteous and just? Two main reasons I want to focus on this morning, the first of which is that in today's world, people often conclude that there is really no standard. What's right? What's wrong? Many defining right as being what works for them. The other reason why it's important for us to talk about God's righteousness and his justice is it's very easy for us as the created ones to turn to our creator and accuse him of not being fair. God, you have not dealt 
justly with me. I've had too many hard things happen in my life. It is not fair. You have not dealt rightly with me. And in so doing, in attacking the very attributes of God that we have been looking at, in so doing, in attacking those attributes, we push God away. We say, God, I don't want to really look at who you really are. I'm going to hide behind my attack of your personhood. My One of my sons just bought a new puppy, a little yellow lab. They named Avit after the Avit Brothers, a music group they like. Avit is a very common puppy. He does lots of puppy things. He's a very active little yellow lab. And one of the things that Avit likes to do is tuck his head right here between your arm and your side. He just loves tucking his head down in there. I think he feels secure. He doesn't have to look at anybody. He can just tuck his head down in there and just relax. Kind of like what you and I do when we want to feel secure and really don't want to look at God because we're angry. We don't feel like God has been fair with us. And so a natural tendency is to push him away, to hide our heads, by just subtly saying things, well, God, you haven't dealt with me very well, so I just don't really want to have anything to do with you right now. I I don't think you have dealt with me justly. I've had too many tough things happen in my life. Actually, what we're doing is attacking his righteousness and justice. But we don't do it overtly. We just push him away by telling ourselves that he is not just. He hasn't been fair. We tuck our heads in under that knowledge in our minds that he hasn't dealt rightly with us. And really... Avoid looking at him in his attributes. And so this morning we want to begin by looking at what it means for God to be a righteous, just God. And then we want to look at this tendency of talking back to him, of accusing him so that we really don't have to deal with the fact that he is the right standard and that he always acts according to his right standard. That he is a fair God. To begin, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 18. At this attribute of God. The fact that God is righteous and that he is the standard of what is right and that he always acts according to his right standard. In Genesis 18, we have a section talking about the justice of God. It's comparing God's righteousness to human righteousness. 
Now, before we come to chapter 18, we've already seen in the book of Genesis, in chapter 15, verse 6, that not it's not only New Testament truth, it's Old Testament truth, that the only way a person like you and me can be righteous, can be right with God, is through faith. Clear back in the life of Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says... Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You see, we can have no righteousness of our own. We cannot do enough good things to make ourselves right before God, to align with his right standard. We can't do it. The only way that we can be right with God is to be declared right with God by God through faith. And so here, we find a man, Abraham, who believes God. God declares him to be right with him. And Abraham believes in the fact that God is a just God. And that's what's going on in this section where God comes to Abraham and said, Abraham, the wickedness of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, I'm going to judge them. In fact, if you look in Genesis chapter 18, verse 20, it says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. Their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they've done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. God already knows. He knows exactly what's been going on in that city. But he puts it in human terms so that we can say that God has all the facts. He is a just judge. Abraham acts as an intercessor for the people. He comes before God and says, God, in your justice, what if there are righteous men and women living in those cities? What if there are people who believe in you, who trust you, who are walking according to your precepts, your principles, your commands? You see, the basis for Abraham's approach to God is his belief that God is a just judge, that he is righteous, that he is the final standard for what is right, and he always acts according to his right standard. Thus we see in verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? You see, Abraham is convinced that God is just. That he is the standard of what is right, and he always acts according to his right standard. Turn with me over to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. In Deuteronomy 32, we have a song. We've looked at it before when we talked about God's faithfulness. It's a song that Moses wrote. And Moses has a purpose for this song. In the end of chapter 31, in verses 29 and 30, he tells the people of Israel, When I die, you will start disobeying God. 
Verse 29 of 31. For I know that after my death you will act corruptly and turn away from the way which I commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. For you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of your hands. I know that's what you're going to do. So Moses says, I want you to learn this song. Put it in your heart. Memorize it. And renew your commitment on a regular basis to the Lord, to this covenant that he has made with you, that he will be your God and you will be his people. I want you to remember God. I want you to lift up your eyes. Don't bury your heads so that you can feel secure in your sin, but rather be reminded of who God is. So at the end of chapter 34, after he sings the song, it says in verse 44, Moses came and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He was Joshua, the son of Nun. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words which I'm warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it's not an idle word for you. Indeed, it's your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. You see, Moses knows that it's important for God's people to regularly see him in all of his attributes, to recognize who God is. And so we see in verse 4 of this song, right at the beginning of the song, Moses says this, the rock, his work is perfect, all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So when the people of Israel start feeling like God hasn't been fair with me, he should have dealt with me differently, they can come back and be reminded, no, God is a just God. He's the definition. He is the standard of what is right. And he always acts according to his right standard. Look over at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, the psalmist David begins by looking at the splendor of creation. The glory of creation in verses 1 through 6. In verse 1 he says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And then he compares the splendor of God's creation with the splendor of God's word. And how it illumines the life. And so in verse 7 he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The Hebrew word translated precepts here has a verbal form which means to appoint. A precept is God's appointment to his people to a higher calling to service. When we align our lives with God's calling on our life as revealed in his word, it gives us joy. That's what verse 8 means when it says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You see, God is the final standard of what is right. And he always acts according to his right standard. He is righteous and just. 
As we come to the New Testament, Reg read in Romans chapter 3, passage of verses 25 and 26, where the Apostle Paul anticipates an objection toward God. The objector can say, well, God, you are not righteous. Because all of these Old Testament believers sinned, and you let them get away with it. All they had to do was come with a bull calf or a goat and kill it, and you said, good enough. That blood of a goat, it's not fair. You are not right. And so the Apostle Paul answers that question in Romans 3, 25 and 26. In verse 25, he talks about Jesus' death on the cross as a propitiation in his blood. means that Jesus, when he died as a substitute, satisfied the righteous wrath of a holy God. And when Jesus did that, it tells us in verse 25 that this was to demonstrate his righteousness. It's talking about God's attribute of being righteous. That Jesus' death, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for sin. He paid for all of the sin that would come after him, after the cross. But when he died on that cross, it also paid for all of the sin before he went to the cross. So Paul's argument is that nobody got away with sin. Jesus' death paid the price for it. The Father sent His one and only Son, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, so that we could become the righteousness of God. Here, Paul says, you didn't get away with anything. God is still righteous. He poured out His righteous wrath on Jesus Christ. In his patience and his forbearance, those Old Testament saints were allowed to uh, sacrifice a bull or a goat, pointing forward to what Jesus would do for them. But Jesus did it. And when he died, paying the price for all sin, God was righteous in not just brushing sin under a rug, but actually having Jesus pay the penalty for sin. And then Paul goes on to say this demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus is just in pouring out his wrath on the person of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ paid for sin, the Father is just in declaring the person who believes in Jesus as being right with God. Through faith, Jesus paid the price. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing that Moses said in Deuteronomy that Abraham said in Genesis 18. God is a fair judge. His righteousness means that he is the standard of what is right. His justice means that he always acts according to his right standard. Now that's important for us to remember. It's important for us to remember in days when people continue to say, well, right is what works for me. Right for you may be different than right for me. 
Several years ago, I was out on an early morning duck hunt. Some of you may enjoy duck hunting. Many of you maybe have never enjoyed the the experience of getting up at 3.30, 4 a.m., putting on so many layers of clothes that you look like the Michelin tire man, sitting out in the blowing cold with 7-degree wind at 18 miles per hour, waiting for a duck. It's quite thrilling. This particular morning, we put the boat into a marsh of cattails. So we parked, we hid the boat in the cattails, and then we threw our decoys out in front of us. If you're not familiar with a duck decoy, it's a plastic duck with a string tied around its neck with a weight at the bottom, and the weight at the bottom catches the ground, and when the water moves with a little bit of wind, it looks makes the duck look like it's swimming. It fakes the real ducks for coming and say, hey, there's some friends. Boom, there's supper. So we've got our boat in the cattails. The decoys are out swimming. And we notice that it seems like the decoys are all moving away. Now that's really strange because they're all anchored down. Now once in a while when we put the decoys out, We may throw a decoy over a deep hole so that weight is not able to catch the bottom and it floats down the river or in the pool that we're in. But all of the decoys are moving, every one of them. We probably had 25 decoys out, 30 decoys. They're all moving. And then we realize the decoys aren't moving. We're moving. Those cattails that we anchored our boat in, those cattails, they weren't attached. We were anchored on a moving island of cattails. We thought we were secure, but the boat was moving away. You see, we thought we had anchored in something that was sure, but it was continually moving. God doesn't move. There's not a time when someone can say, well... This is wrong right now, but give it five years and it'll probably be right. Not with God. God is the final standard of what is right. And he always acts according to that standard. And it's important for us, especially in this culture in which we live, to be continually reminded that God is a righteous God. It's easy for us as we are continually bombarded from our culture through television, through uh, th- through articles that we read, through the media, continually bombarded thinking that standards change. To be reminded that God doesn't. He's the final right standard and always acts according to his standard. He is always a just God. He is always right. Moses knew it was important to be reminded of that. That's why he penned that song in Deuteronomy 32. It says, I know you're going to sin. And when you do, it's important to be reminded. You need to be reminding each other that God is a righteous God. And he always acts according to his righteous standard. He will not let you get away with sin. He'll discipline you. Because he's not like a moving island. As Moses said in Deuteronomy 32.4, he's a rock. 
He is the standard of right, and he always acts according to his right standard. Our issue is one of two things. We either act like Avit and put our head down and don't want to look at God because we're listening to our culture and it's easy for us to feel secure in our sin by thinking that, well, things have changed today. It's different from when the Bible was written. So I think this is probably okay now. Or we push God away by attacking his very character. God, you, this is just not right. One family should not have to deal with so much hurt. You shouldn't be taking it out on us. I don't think you are just. Well, Job had those feelings. And we're going to look at that now in Job chapter 40. We've looked at the book of Job a couple of times in our series. And we're going to see from Job and also the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 that we really don't have a right to accuse God. We don't have a right to accuse God of being unrighteous or unjust. He's the creator. We are the created. In the book of Job, we find a man named Job, who the text tells us is a righteous man. He believes God, and he's walking according to God's commands. Because he is a righteous man, God blesses him. He makes him fruitful in his work. He's got many flocks and herds. He's a wealthy man. He's got a wonderful family and a good reputation. And Satan enters the throne room of God and says, God, no wonder this guy follows you. You've given him everything. You've made life easy on him. If you let me have him just for a little while, he'd curse you. And God says to Satan, go for it. You can't take his life, but you can take everything else. And that's exactly what Satan does. Satan wipes out his wealth. Satan wipes out his family. Satan even takes his health. And during that whole time, there are are at least two recorded occasions in the book of Job, chapter 10, verse 2, and chapter 23, verse 6, where Job contends with God. God, why are you treating me this way? What have I done to you? So at the end of the book, God speaks to Job and says in verse 2, will the fault finder contend? with the Almighty? You're accusing me of contending with you. Will you contend with me? Let's look at the verses. Then the Lord said to Job, Job 40 verse 1, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer even twice, and I will add nothing more. And the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man, I will ask you. You instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Job, 
hey, let's have an arm wrestling match. Who do you think will win? Do you have the strength that I have? Oh, by the way, uh, is it possible for you to make your voice sound like the thunder of heaven? You see, God's making a point. God is all-powerful, almighty, creator God, and Job is the created. Job's getting the point. He says to the Lord in verse 4, I'm insignificant, I'm just going to, I, I can't respond. I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. You see, we don't really have a right to accuse God of being unrighteous or unjust. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 teaches the same principle. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul once again is pre-thinking the accusations of those who want to contend with God. And Romans chapter 9 verses 14 through 23 is talking about the fact that God is right in choosing some and in hardening people based solely on his freedom to bestow mercy on who he chooses to bestow mercy. So the fault finder with God, the Apostle Paul, pre-thinks his response is going to say, well, there's no decision to be made then. God just decides it all. The Apostle Paul doesn't even answer that question. Rather, he looks to the heart of the fault finder. And in verse 19, it says, You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? You see, Paul says there's a heart issue here. You are sticking your head underneath your arm. You're not willing to actually look at the fact that God is the standard of right and he always acts according to his right standard. You are attacking his righteousness and justice. You are saying that God does not have the right to deal with man as he chooses. The creator God is somehow imperfect in your accusation. That's what you're saying. And in reality, even though we may not do it as overtly as we see in Romans 9, it's so easy for you and for me to fall into that same trap. God, it's just, it's not fair. I don't think you are dealing with me rightly. And at the moment we say that, it doesn't detract from God. It shows that we need a heart check. About a year ago, September of 2013, I was up here preaching, and I thought I was going to faint. I got so lightheaded, I thought, I really thought I was going to pass out, so I preached from a chair. The next day, I went to my doc, and my doctor said, well, let's have you wear one of these little monitors for 24 hours. I don't think it'll be any big deal, but let's just see what's going on with your heart. So I wore the little monitor. He came back and said, you know, there's something a little peculiar there. I think we should have you do a stress test. So I went, got on the old treadmill. I'm running along, and the nurse comes in. Stop! Stop! You've got to stop right now. She was all frantic. And she says, now, I don't want to alarm you, but you need to kind of take it easy this weekend. Great. Here I am, my my father at age 54. 
four, had massive heart attacks. They told us that he was going to die by the end of the evening. We should all get on a plane, come to New York City, because he'll be dead. I was getting ready to get my tickets, and I just called one last time and said, hey, guess what, he's up eating soup. So here I am, I turn 54 tomorrow. And um, and here I am, my dad had these massive heart attacks. I had a cardiologist friend at Dallas Seminary said that if your dad had a heart attack at 54, you better be ready before that. And now this nurse says, just take it easy over the weekend. So I go and I meet with this brand new cardiologist, a young kid. And I said, hey, are you good at Xbox? He says, I'm great at Xbox. Which made me feel good because he's going to do this procedure with a little joystick. So he's good at Xbox. I said, great, this guy knows what he's doing. He says, you know what, I'm sure we're going to have to put stints in you. Um, we're going to skip the, the next phase of the testing. We're just going to take you straight into the cath lab. So I go into the cath lab. I'm awake. He's doing his little Xbox deal on me. And says, guess what? Three of your arteries are completely clean, and, and one of them only has 10% blockage. And I said, great, let's get out of here. How freeing that was to me. You see, there's really only one way to know exactly what's going on inside of your heart, your physical heart, and that's that catheterization process. They knew exactly then. But I'd thrown some false positives. I needed a heart check. You know what happens and what it's telling us when we start saying to God, God, you're not fair. You're not dealing rightly with me. It seems like everybody else has it easy and you're just taking it out on me. We're not alone when when we're there because Job did it. But God had a word for Job and he has a word for us that it's time for us to do a heart check. That's why Moses had this community song that the nation of Israel was to sing together. That's why in the church of Jesus Christ, we don't walk alone. The Christian life is meant to live in community. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have adult ed. That's why we get together on Sunday morning. That's why we serve together here at Faith Bible Church in a variety of ways on different teams of people. Because the Christian life is meant to walk in community. So that when we start contending with God, we can have brothers and sisters in Christ that pick up on that. Maybe our brother or sister in Christ can see us starting to pull away. You know, when we start to hurt, we tend to want to retreat onto an island of our own. And our brothers and sisters can cry say, hey, come on, what's going on? And help point us back to the God of Scripture. We've got a culture, the modern day atheist says, well, right evolves. That, that even though there is no God, there is a sense of what's right because it evolves in our, in our, in our culture and what works is what lasts. That's what's right. And we're bombarded with that and bombarded with that. It's important for us to have brothers and sisters in Christ. As a, as, as brothers and sisters, we look to the Lord of the scripture and reminded in scripture of who God really is. Instead of burying our heads, we look and say, oh, that's right. 
He is the final standard of what is right. And he always acts according to his right standard. 